Welcome to Pursuing Truth. I'm your host, Barry Watkins. Welcome to Pursuing Truth. Today we're um, finishing our series on cult mind control techniques. I've uh, I came up with 13 points uh, about cult mind control and we're kind of going through the whole list. And uh, so far we've uh, talked about the first 10 points. And so we have only three left. We've got um, things that cults do to control you and other mind controlling groups can use also. Um, so num- we're down to number 11. The group becomes your only source to meet basic felt needs. Number 12, uh, they make leaving the group a sin. And 13 is shunning and shaming those who dissent or leave. So uh, let's talk about the number 11. The group becomes the only source to meet basic felt needs. When, um, when you join a mind controlling group, one of the things that you'll find a lot of times is that they've, they're, they're going to create this culture where basically your, your whole life can be immersed in this group. Um, this is the you know the best way to control people. You don't want to make it just a part of your life. You really want to make it the central thing in your life if you really want to control people. And a lot of uh, the groups that we're talking about do that very thing. So uh, it becomes the center of your activity. It becomes the center of your social circle. The people within the group are be, start becoming the only people that you do anything with. They start becoming the only people that you relate to. Even old friends and family members get pushed aside um, as a part of a, a way to you know control people. So they will um, provide lots of things that will keep you um, centered on the group. So you'll have lots of social activities to do within the group. You'll have lots of meetings to go to. You'll have lots of gatherings uh, for prayer, whatever it is. Um, You'll have teaching times where you go study. You'll also probably have certain types of activities where you go and you help the group to reach out to other people. You're going to be invited or actually being a part of some groups means that you're required to do certain things like go door to door uh, and uh, invite people to follow the teachings of the group, uh, to share the teachings with people. Some groups uh, encourage every member to become kind of a preacher and to go out to share the gospel with um, everybody around you so that this becomes your life focus. It becomes your life mission to be doing the work of the ministry, doing the work that the that the group is supposed to be doing, and they want to invite you to come along and be a part of it. Um, this uh, happened to me with um, you know the groups I've been involved in. Um, definitely, uh, you know, fundamentalist Christian groups. Um, my campus ministry I was in, the shepherding ministry I was in, all of these did that same thing where we had lots of. Uh, fun times together. We'd go do things together. We would, you know, have barbecues. We'd get together for holidays. We, you know, things like that. And uh, we were encouraged as part of the teachings within uh, evangelical Christianity. It's really very common that you're going to be taught 
and the Bible actually teaches this, that the only relationship you're supposed to have with people outside the group is um, a relationship where you are reaching out to them and inviting them to come into the faith. So your relationship with your old friends really has to get turned around or you're, you're encouraged to reject those old friendships. If, if it's not going to bear fruit, if you're not going to be successful in bringing someone to Jesus through a relationship, then you're going to be encouraged to cut off that relationship because it's either one way or the other. You're either going to be ministering to people outside the group and bringing them in or the, the theory that they'll teach you a lot of times is that, you know, it's either you're reaching them, you're having a positive effect on them, or they're going to end up having a negative effect on you if you remain in a friendship kind of a relationship. Um, same thing is going to be said about family members. They're going to be like, you know what, your family members, you're either going to be reaching out to them if they're open to hearing about God and, and want to come along, you know, if you can bring them into the fold, that's great. But if not, you know, you really don't need to spend a lot of time with your family members. If they're going to just be pulling you away from God, pulling you away from the truth, then yeah. You need to be spending your time with your Christian family or your new family that we've, you know, created for you. So that uh, brings us to uh, our next point, number 12, that they make leaving the group a sin. This uh, was demonstrated in a, in a church that I was in for a while, and um, it, was, it, it was a very small church, and it was kind of a startup kind of a church. And the preacher was very all about, yeah, you need to be here all the time whenever the doors are open. You know, if we have a prayer meeting, you need to come to it. You know, it was very high commitment, was preached from the pulpit. And then what happened was different people would leave the church and he would actually talk about it when they left the church. He would talk about people leaving the church. You knew who he, you knew who he was talking about because it was a small group. But he didn't wouldn't necessarily mention them by name or anything, but he would pretty much show that it was their fault that they were leaving, you know, that they couldn't handle the truth and uh, things like that. And it was just a common theme there that, yeah, anybody that was no longer around, well, it's because they want to go somewhere else where their ears are going to be tickled and, and where it's not such a hard message that's preached or something like that, you know. And it wasn't ever about, well, you know, we, you know, our church isn't for everybody or anything like that. It was, it was really always, yeah, they're, they're wrong for leaving. And it's, it's a problem if you, if you leave, it's because you're in sin. And um, yeah, so mind controlling groups are going to be high commitment as a general rule. And they're going to, one of those minimum kind of requirements that's going to be emphasize is going to be, yeah, you need to be here. Uh, you need to be signing up for these courses. You need to be um, active. And this is all about you. You know, this is all about, you know, your progress into, you know, the, the next levels that you want to go to. But also they might put in front of you that, yeah, we have this serious mission that is vital and we have to reach out and save the world. 
you know, it's up to us to save the world. Usually that's the kind of vision that they're going to paint. And um, because it's a really good way to get you motivated to be more and more active, the when they put the activity of the group up there as something that really is so vital and it has to happen and you need to be a part of this. If you're not supporting this, then you're actually supporting our enemies, you know, and uh, the enemies are going to be painted also as this big problem in the world. And, and this is pretty much the way uh, fundamentalist Christianity motivates people and um, all the cults do the same thing. So pretty wild. Um, yeah. And then um, following on with that, you know, thought is that um, they, they will use shunning and shaming for people who dissent or leave. This is our final point, number 13 of our 13 points. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Pursuing Truth with Barry Watkins. Shunning, of course, is a very serious consequence. And it's funny, but uh, it's actually in the Bible um, commanded of Christians to shun people if they fall away, if they don't follow God's roles, um, if they're if your, your leadership within your church decides, yeah, this person isn't um, following God good enough, then they're going to cut them off. They're going to disassociate with them. And this is a biblical mandate. So really serious Christian groups that are Bible believers are going to follow this. And then also cult groups do the same thing because it's effective. It's an effective deterrent. If you have that kind of hanging over your head that, you know, if you don't toe the line, you don't do everything just so, um, you can be disassociated. It's kind of like a, the, the final judgment on somebody or the, probably the biggest judgment that you can have on somebody in a group like this, because they're basically saying, okay, you're on the outside. We're going to push you to the outside. You're not following everything the way you're supposed to then we're not allowed to associate with you. And they're going to tell other people, you know, that, yeah, you're not allowed to talk to this person anymore because they're under discipline. And it's a, it's a form of discipline. It's extreme form of uh, control. Um, some of the groups that do this, it's just, um, it's devastating to people because what will happen is, you know, you're in this group, um, especially if your family is a, you know, in the group, you've got children in the group that maybe you've even in, introduced your family to the group at some point, or maybe the, your family introduced you to the group. Maybe you're born into it or something like that. But um, yeah, generally people will have very close friendships and family members inside the group. This is fostered and developed that you're going to, you're going to have this very close knit relationship with your friends in the, in the group. But then that, you know, idea of cutting off and disassociating from something, it's a pretty good deterrent, uh, especially if it's your, your own kids or your own parents, your own family members. 
um, they wouldn't be able to talk to you anymore. They, they have to cut you off if you leave the group. Yeah, that's going to keep a lot of people in. It's going to keep a lot of people active. Um, just that threat. So, so yeah, that's our, uh, that's our 13 uh, points, 13 ways that um, cult groups want to control you, mind controlling groups. Uh, if you can think of any more, uh, let us know. Uh, if you have discussions you want to have about any of the points that I've made, um, yeah, let's let's talk about it. This has been uh, kind of a heavy subject for me, and I know it's it's um, probably for for some of you guys listening, it might be a little bit triggering if you have ever been a, a part of one of these type of uh, groups, or if you're a part of one now um, where. You recognize and say, gosh, this, this is mind control that's happening here. And it's mind control that's been used against me. Um, yeah, it can be kind of emotional to think about it. And um, especially when you realize that it's happened to you and you've been a victim of mind control. Um, I know what that feels like. That happened to me. And, and uh, it was funny because when I was in Maranatha, for instance, um, a lot of people around me called it a cult. You know, pretty much anybody that I would talk to about it that wasn't in the group said, oh my gosh, they're a cult. You know, how, you know, what in the world? And they would talk about reasons why they think it's a cult, you know. And sure enough, I mean, it really, it really was. But at the time, I didn't want to believe that at all. Um, that was, and um, Steve Hassan talks, or Steve Hassan talks about this, that um, that's one of the tactics that really fails usually is if you, and it's, it's a gut reaction that a lot of people will have for you if you're in one of these groups and they, they think that it's a cult. You know, they think it's going to help you by telling you, oh, my gosh, that's a cult. What are you doing? You know, but what it can have actually have a reverse effect on people. And I know that it was kind of that way for me that when the outside people called it a cult and I didn't want to believe that it was a cult at all. Um, my reaction was to dig in deeper and say, oh my gosh, these people, you know, the devil is really deceiving people, you know, into thinking that what we're doing is wrong. And, uh, when in fact we're the ones that are doing it right and everybody else is doing it wrong, you know, and uh, it made me dig my heels in deeper as far as really digging into the teachings and, and it, it solidified my resolve to be doing these things the, the way that the group was teaching me, because that's, that's just one of those things. Once you're captured, once your imagination is captured, and once you give in to some of the basic teachings of a high control group, then there's something about the idea of being wrong. That's very hard to accept. It would, it would, once you've gone down that path far enough, it becomes this um, pride thing that I, I would never want to admit that I've been ripped off or deceived by someone. I want to think that what I'm doing is the right thing. So our minds kind of take a turn and we'll try to basically we, we reject evidence that is presented to us that, oh, my gosh, you're you've been deceived. You're doing it. You're doing it wrong. You've got this thing wrong. Um, no, I mean, you know, it, it, uh, I was there and definitely within my mind, I didn't ever want to believe I was in a cult. That's for sure. 
And it's funny, um, later on I recognized cult-like attributes of Maranatha campus ministries. And I was like, well, you know, years later, I, I was looking back on it. I was still affected by those teachings. And I would sort of halfway admit, well, yeah, some of it was extreme. Some of it might have been cult-like. But I, I, I still didn't um, really embrace the idea. Oh, yeah, it was a cult until quite a bit later when I really once I learned that God wasn't real. Once I became an atheist, gave up my belief in God altogether, then I could look at it objectively, I think. I looked back on it and I said, wow, they have pretty much every attribute of what a cult. They pretty much did the life controlling stuff that, that cults do. And yeah, it was a dangerous cult because I'll admit it now. Yeah, it, it sucked you in. It made you feel really special. You know, they called themselves God's Green Berets. And uh, they were a special kind of uh, part of the army of God, you know, the Green Berets. And, and God was using them to do things, um, you know, kind of as a special force in the earth. And he had special plans for these guys, you know, they were God's Green Berets. And, um, you know, that, that was appealing to me, the idea that, oh, yeah, God's raising up this group of people in these last days, and we have this special mission that we're supposed to, you know, do, do these specific things, going out and reaching people on campuses, you know, and it was the campus ministry. And um, I, I bought into it completely that, yes, I want to devote my life to reaching future leaders for God and things like that. And so it was framed like that. And it was, uh, it had that appeal to it where I was going to be part of this special thing that was really powerful and important. And the Bible talks about it, that the last days, you know, in the last days, God was going to raise, you know, his church up and his church was going to be uh, spotless and without blemish. And that was one of the things that Maranatha would talk about was that the last one of the features of the last day's church was going to be holiness that god was bringing back um holiness and that people were going to get serious about the lord and and that it was going to become it was going to fill the earth with god's glory you know kind of thing and so there was all these things we also had pretty much every area of life that you could be involved in maranatha had kind of a ministry geared for that, even though it wasn't that big of a ministry, it was only, I think, a few thousand people worldwide or something. You know, we were on campuses all over the, all over the world, but we were in all these different countries. And, um, but, you know, they had a big vision and it, it, it was big enough and uh, presented well enough, I think, that it would capture pretty much, you know, 90% of the people in the group would figure out something that they really got excited about and wanted to be a part of. So one of those things in Maranatha was they talked about um, God is restoring. Uh, uh, they talked about three different areas. They talked about the revival of the nations, the restoration of the New Testament church, and then the reformation of society. We're gonna take a break. And we'll be right back.
welcome back to Pursuing Truth with Barry Watkins. So within those areas, it's it was kind of a big umbrella, but you know, one of the there was always all these little spin-off ministries within that group um, that would inspire someone and that it was encouraged. Uh, different members would come up with a a little spin-off ministry that they would start and um, and share that with other people, you know. So you had people that got into politics, you had people that got into um, any area of life that you can imagine. They they would talk about movie stars who were um, bringing Hollywood to to God, you know, and they were bringing God's dominion into that arena of you know filmmaking, and that we're gonna we're gonna take over the film industry or something like that, and. Uh, you know, the politics part of it. We're going to take over the politics in the United States. We're going to raise up leaders and, and they encourage people to get involved in the young Republicans and things like that and run for office and stuff. Because, yeah, God was going to use you as his representative in that arena, in that area of life. And God, this was an activity that God was doing. And God has all these, you know, big plans for the last days. And uh, Maranatha was kind of the spearhead for, you know, bringing Jesus back. You know, they talked about that. Um, it was, uh, they were talking about that the church in the last days was kind of like the ministry of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus coming the first time. And then the church in the last days had this new spirit of Elijah they were talking about and, and the spirit of John the Baptist that um, they were the forerunners for Jesus' second coming. And so we were, we were reaching out. We were, you know, bringing revival to the nation. We were spreading revival around the world of the true gospel. You know, uh, the, the world was full of um, false Christians who haven't done it correctly. So we're going to come and correct all of that and, and bring a new revival to the nations. And then, and then we're going to restore that New Testament church in its, in its former glory. It's going to come back with apostles and prophets. And, you know, the last days, uh, you're going to see more miracles and all of this kind of stuff. So it, it was painting a vision. And then you would invite, you know, they would invite the people to be a part of this. Every member was expected to be making disciples, you know, and it was given out as the Great Commission. Well, the Bible shares that. The Bible talks about it. And when Jesus commissioned his 12 apostles, there was a larger group of people there. And he said, um, in the Great Commission, he says, I am sending you to do all the things that I have done. I'm sending you. And so they talk about that, that one of the things that Jesus did was make disciples. So when he said, everything that I'm doing, I want you to do, uh, he was passing that torch down to those disciples. And they were supposed to in turn make disciples who would in turn do the, the ministry that they were called to do. So it was this um, teaching from the beginning that it was kind of like an Amway thing where you know, multi-level marketing thing where every member is really supposed to be a recruiter. 
you know, every member is supposed to be out there sharing the gospel. And uh, they would talk about the work of the ministry. They said um, there was this uh, five-fold ministry they talked about. and But the purpose of the five-fold ministry, which was pastors, evangelists, um, prophets, apostles, and teachers. You know, you had apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. These, these guys, their job, according to the Bible, is to um, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equipping the saints. Well, the saints are all of us, all the Christians. So this teaching was that, oh yeah, I'm a pastor, but it's not my job just to be a pastor. It's my job to teach you how to do the ministry. You know, the pastor's job is to teach all the members how to find the ministry that they're supposed to be a part of. Well, this this is one of those um, mind control techniques that we've talked about is, um, you know, giving you a task and to keep you busy and to, to um, pull you into a lifestyle of following the group. Christianity absolutely did that. Um, well, the, you know, the brand of Christianity that I was in encouraged every member really to consider, you know, going full-time because, you know, full-time ministry, because that was part of what this Green Beret, you know, outfit was supposed to do was we're going to raise up thousands of leaders. We're going to raise up thousands of leaders, thousands of full-time ministers to then reach millions uh, around the world for, for Jesus. And then, um, you know, it was going to be this big revival before Jesus came back that, that, that he was coming back for a glorious church that was victorious, you know. Well, yeah, it inspired me and it, it, it affected me to the point where, oh, I don't, you know, I don't need to plan for any other career except being a full-time minister because I couldn't see anything else that compared to that as far as being important in this life. So I wanted to be a full-time minister. I gave up my college um, and uh, I quit early because I really had no um, impetus to really finish my degree. Yeah. So anyway, that that's my story. Well, why don't you share with us your mind control stories too? You know, if, if you've identified with any of these um, mind control techniques that I've talked about, if you're recognizing, oh my gosh, yeah, the group that I'm in does the very same things. I'm not gonna be surprised if you do that because that was exactly my finding in religion in general is that mind control is pervasive in religion that's why religion continues to exist because it's controlling people's lives and it keeps them in it keeps them believing these crazy things that they <laughs> and uh, it really does work so yeah let's talk about that let's um Let's go on from here. I think our next episode, um, we're going to talk about some reactions to this and um, our responses to, you know, this whole subject of mind control. Um, it's a heavy subject. It's something that um, needs to be talked about. It uh, It's an uncomfortable subject for me, but it's something that I've uh, learned is vital and important to my life. It, it, it was a life-changing thing for me to understand it and to, um, you know, to be able to respond to it.
All right, so I, I invite you to continue on with us. Uh, I appreciate your, uh, you know, joining us, and we'll um, talk again soon. Bye-bye. See you later. Thank you.